You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. If you've been listening to this show any time in the past year, you know I've moved back to Texas. Texas is home for me. I spent most of my childhood here. My parents are from here. And my childhood had a country music soundtrack, the outlaw country of the 70s and 80s. It was just what everyone around me listened to. My parents took me to my first concert at five, and it was a Willie Nelson concert. I think... I loved country music as a kid, and I still love country music because it tells stories, and it tells stories in a way that even a kid understands. I mean, lots of kinds of music tell stories, but in country music, they're just right there. Long Black Veil, Folsom Prison Blues, and one of my favorite songs of all time, Poncho and Lefty. Those are just out-and-out stories with like a beginning, middle, and end in the song. But today, we're talking about country music in a particular context. This whole month has featured musicians exploring how music influences relationships, not the relationships of the people listening to the music or the relationships necessarily described in the music, but the relationships of the people making the music. In the last show, we talked to Kathy Valentine about her time with the Go-Go's, their rise, their fall, their breakup and reunion. And today, we're talking to rising artist Sierra Ray about Nashville. Not the city, really, but what people who play country music mean when they say Nashville. And they mean a lot of things, but it doesn't necessarily have a map or boundaries. Sierra's latest single is Save Your Sorries, and we're going to talk about that. But we're also going to talk about what Nashville means and what she's learned there and how songwriting helped her into recovery from an eating disorder and how it's still saving her. Coming right up, Sierra Ray. Sierra, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. I really am. I can't wait to talk about everything we got coming up now. All right. Well, we're going to talk about everything and (laughs) we're going to talk about Nashville. I mentioned in the opening to uh, this interview that we're going to be talking about Nashville, but not the city, really, you know, not the streets and the avenues and the houses and the parks, but what Nashville stands for in the country Mm -hmm. music industry. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could (laughs) define that. Like when people in your business say Mm -hmm. the word Nashville, Mm. what are they talking about? 
to me, the songwriting, the songwriters, that's immediately what comes to mind. Um, I think coming from a non-national area of Fort Lauderdale and then, you know, where it was all about the performance and um, just going out and entertaining to coming here. It was a super um, shock to my system that, oh, everyone here is a great voice, but which one of you has a story, a story that's going to rip your heart out, a story that's going to make you stop in your tracks and reevaluate your life or, you know, look back on your life or whatever the case may be. And um, I think just like everybody who comes to Nashville, they realize they're in for a lot, but um, you know, I came there with a set of expectations and walked out with a completely different one when it comes to songwriting and the stories and the respect for that. Um, So not to jabber too much. I'll let you continue on to your next question, but I would say the songwriters. Oh, no, this, sure. is, this is you. This is, this is all about you. And in, in my impression is there's a few things you made me think of. One is that yes, uh, country music more so than other genres right now. Um, mm. It's songwriters who make or break artists, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not mm-hmm. artists who make or break songwriters. It's a, maybe a little bit more analogous, like in some, like I think in, you know, hip hop to a certain degree, pop music, people think about producers, you know, being like really key. Yeah. But yeah. in Nashville, it's, it is, it's songwriting. Like that's, that's what yes. people are thinking about. Yeah. And let's not take away like, Oh, put it to you this way. I have heard songs the same song sung by the writer. And I've heard the same song sung by the artist who made it big. And, you know, there is, I've seen, I've heard of songs and seen songs that have been recorded by a million people and it was never right till it hit the right person and the right voice. So I definitely believe in that, but to, to what you're saying, 100% it starts with the song and it wouldn't be there without the song, without the message, that creation. The other thing I was thinking about Nashville is, is I think what people mean uh, when they say it in this industry is kind of the industry, the culture of it, the business of country music. Mm-hmm. Which has changed drastically over the last seven years, more than that, 10 years. But I mean, at least... I could only speak for what I've observed in my time. You know what I mean? Of, you know, being active and being here. But, you know, I started off in a time where like you had to be on the radio or be signed. Well, so first of all, you had to be signed to get on the radio. There was no way around that. There was no big internet phase. Radio. Wait, wait, wait. You say this word radio. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, radio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my point. So we started off with this phase where like, it was almost like I started off songwriting and performing and opening for people with the idea that like I could be myself, but I had to fit in the version of myself that they wanted because I've always had, I I was jazz trained. I've always had a bluesy soulful voice and, but I've always, always, always loved the heart of country music songwriting, but I'm from Fort Lauderdale. 
You know what I mean? So it's not like I grew up in what people would describe as a stereotypical or a typical country lifestyle. So I felt like for a long time I had to fit into a mold. And um, then, you know, the Internet. Now you could stream. Now the labels had to change the way they were making money or their business model. And that actually, to me, is what brought. And look, I'm not. I'm whoever. This is just me observing, right? But that's what made the songwriter. Songwriters have always been important, but it made the songwriter even more important. We're like, why do labels want to sign you unless you can also write and be a part of their making money through the publishing? Because they're not making as much money through CD sales anymore. So that became the dawn of mostly artists that could write for themselves or could write well enough to write in a room of number one writers and create and, you know, be lucrative in that sense. There's no more the ages of like Tim McGraw hearing a song and recording it and putting it out and it being big. That still exists, but labels hardly want to touch you unless you can write your own songs anymore for the reasons of the internet and the change of revenue. Um, Now I feel like because of a lot of the different cultural changes that have gone on for um, women and race. And, you know, we've all witnessed what's been happening the last two years. And now there's a window for women like me who aren't part of the good old boys club, but also are different. I am a country music songwriter, but I'm not going to sound exactly like one. And now because radio, radio is phasing out, you know. Radio? Yeah, you don't (laughs) need that as much to have a successful career. And it's a double-edged sword, right? Because Joe Schmo, who wrote something funny but can't sing for his life, can now get a major hit on radio. And, you know, it leaves some people who, like, really look into their craft and like study it and do all this stuff to do really good go dang what am i doing why don't i just dumb it down to something simple you know there's that inner creative struggle but there's also the beauty of i don't need to wait for a label to say you're good enough anymore you know and but then again i'm competing with millions on the internet so it's just it's changed from my point of view as an artist for the type of artist i am for the better but it's a hard, you know, it's, um, it's a lot. And I don't even know what question you asked, but I just went on a super rampage, but (laughs) that, you know, that industry changing like that has changed drastically the city of Nashville in the last 10 years. I mean, people said 20 years ago, it changed 10 years. It's changed. I know every arts industry is competitive, but that's another thing I think about when I hear the word Nashville, I think about just people clawing their way to the top oh please (laughs) yeah i mean i guess the entire every every arts industry is competitive but for some reason i have this picture in my head when it comes to nashville because it's maybe all still pretty centered on this one physical place yes um yes that it feels super competitive in a way that maybe other industries don't have that same focus yeah um but what's weird, and I don't know if other artists can speak to this, but what the kind of metamorphosis I had in myself is when I came, I felt like I had to, I had to show up. I had to be seen. I had to do this. I had to show why I was worth it. I had to, you know, and maybe it comes with age or time or experience, mm-hmm. but I just feel now that the more I have focused on 
not being competitive and we all have space and everyone has the opportunity and we can all help each other and just focusing on developing myself and my voice and my business, million more doors have opened. And so I think it's easy to get caught up in that competitive nature. Um, but you can choose not to, and maybe it won't allow you as much fame, but it sure as hell will allow you more happiness in your career to not make that comp competitive nature, the focus of your journey, if that makes sense. So you knew or thought you knew what you were getting into uh, when you moved there. <laughs> when did you decide to move to Nashville and why? And when I say moved to, I mean, not just yeah. the city, but everything so, that stands for. So I sang, and please ignore the dog in the background. I hope you cannot hear that. <laughs> he will not stop. I have a dog here too. Okay. He's just very anxious right now. But anyways, um, I, I've been singing since the time I could talk. I always wanted to be the center of the conversation, the center of entertaining, not always the center of attention, which is something I've struggled with. It's a weird thing I deal with, but I love entertaining. I love being a center. And I used to grow up, you know, putting, making my parents line up with my grandparents and putting on little shows and singing Whitney Houston and Shania Twain, like it was for my life. And I went to, I sang in the choir, you know, the typical growing up, you know, how you get into singing. And then from there, I did, I went through high school working with a lot of really cool people in South Florida, um, including Betty Wright, who passed away last year, which was crazy. And if you haven't heard of her, you should look her up. But um, when I got to college time, I realized that my parents are going to kill me if I didn't go to a college, <laughs> a college anywhere. So I wanted to go obviously to an art school, but most art schools um, or departments or programs were classical if you were going to study music. And I had studied classical briefly through courses and stuff. And I just knew I loved it, but that wasn't me that I found out through a friend about this jazz program at university of Miami and jazz and blues and country are a lot more intertwined than people sometimes realize. And I was like, perfect. That's awesome. So I couldn't believe I got in. There's only five people in my major. We went and started studying. I had 19 credits my first semester and needless to say, by the end of a year and a half, I was so, and part of it was my own issues that had cropped up, but I was so overworked that I ended up develop, developing anorexia and it was a horrible time. And my parents sat me down and basically said, you, you have to get treatment. Cause at that time I wasn't helping myself. And through that, which I thought was the end of everything, like I was getting out of this school. It was like, I lost it. I lost the opportunity. What am I going to do with my life? And through recovery and through having to be home, writing became, because I'd only sang up to this point. I hadn't really written. Songwriting then became my outlet. It became my escape. And from that, I gathered a little band locally. We started playing, writing songs together. And that's when we started opening up for people through lots and lots of gigs. We started opening up for Cheryl Crow and Leonard Skinner at the Hard Rock and 
that was when I started to go, oh my God, like now I get it. Like I always sang, didn't know exactly if I wanted to do anything songwriting. That's it. And then from there, I started traveling to Nashville to record. And my engineer was like, you know, you need to go to, you, you should, you should be up here. And I was like, well, I have student loans, so I cannot move. I have to live at my parents right now. And he said, have you ever heard of Belmont? Never heard of it before. Applied to the songwriting program. Got in, found out I got in like a month later. I haven't heard of Belmont. So what is Belmont? Incredible. Um, their alumni, like Brad Paisley, Florida Georgia line, um, who played baseball there at the time. Is it a I school? Had, yes. A school? It's a, it's a university in Nashville, kind of near Vanderbilt. Okay. All right. And um, I was like, okay, this is it. This is how I'm getting to Nashville. So I went up there and literally the rest is history. And it was just no <laughs> grind and, you know, making a ton of mistakes. And here I am today, still making mistakes, but learning. And when was that? That I was 23 when I moved to Nashville. So I had taken, I had left school at 1920 and gone to their part-time program, which I finished for my associates in jazz and teaching. And then I toured and did shows and then moved up here when I was 23 and got into Belmont. So how long have you been in Nashville? Seven years. So I'm having a 30 life crisis right now. <laughs> I remember. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm Fun curious if, if you don't mind talking about it just a little bit. Um, you said that songwriting was a key part of your recovery. 100%. And what were you writing about? What was the connection? I haven't thought about this in a long time. Um, there's this magical moment when you can put all the jumbled up nonsensical emotions in your head and put them into a story that brings comfort to other people. Like I almost am going to tear up. Like there is nothing like it in the world. And up till that point, I had experienced just really focusing on my vocals and getting a lot of praise for my vocals locally. But it never felt quite fulfilling. My parents always wondered, why don't you really focus on singing? There just was something that didn't click. And then when I created and put something that was nothing and made it to fruition and wrote it, that was when my brain just went, this is what I do. And I don't know how to explain it. And that was when I finally felt fulfilled. It felt like I wasn't searching for who I needed to be anymore. And, and I think part of why I developed my eating disorder was because I felt the pressure to do really, really well in a lot of these classes that were all about singing and whatever, and, and theory and whatever. And I and I wasn't sold yet. I hadn't found that thing yet. I hadn't really explored songwriting because I didn't trust in myself to do it. I didn't think I'd be good enough. And I think that that amongst other teenage and whatever things that were going on, that just fueled the fire for that to happen in my life. But it became the best thing ever because it created a totally different perspective for me on people and control and experiences. And then songwriting just became that way of like, completing me 
I felt like my search is never over, but my search for what I needed to do in this life was not, was over now. I knew what I needed to do now. Fascinating. And I have a thought about why that might be that there was this shift in how you thought about yourself and how you thought related to an audience. And then Mm -hmm. you felt because what I, I perked up to was when you were focusing on singing is you were worried about being good enough. Mm-hmm. And when you shifted to songwriting, it became more about the connection with other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wonder is because when, when you're focusing on your singing, you are trying to do it as someone else wanted it to be. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. there is in fact a standard that you're supposed to be trying to reach. Yes. Yes. You know? Yeah, exactly. And when you write your own stuff, all it is, is you. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of insecurity that comes with opening yourself up with writing. Mm -hmm. Like what if they don't hear my message? What if they just think it's a dumb song? Like there's that, but that's, everybody has that in one way, shape or form. But all I know is that creating and being able to stir something in others, that that took the gap of I don't know and slivered it down and questioning myself to very little, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense. And when we were chatting before we started recording, I, we were talking about how the culture of Nashville affects the music that comes out of it. And mm-hmm. off the top of my head, I have to say... It, it rings true to me that songwriting is can be self-fulfilling, um, right? It, it, that's what I feel like you're describing. Yes, there's still concerns, yeah. but like that's, you're, you're not, you're, you're thinking about your, your own opinion of the song first, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. not, in, except we've just been talking about how competitive, you know, and, you know, uh, I, I guess I probably wouldn't say kill or be killed, but maybe dog eat dog or, you know, there's only so much room at the top, whatever. That room at the top has gotten bigger because of reasons you were talking about. But it seems like it would be hard to maintain that feeling of like, I am writing for my own artistic fulfillment when you're yes. in an environment that's that competitive. Yes. And that's where, as much as there are things I hate about the Internet, <laughs> That's where the dawn of that and 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 artists gaining exposure online is beautiful to me. And and the reason is because I learned over the last, honestly, the pandemic really put this in perspective for me. Right before the pandemic, I started to gain this insight. But I thought for a long time, like anybody with stars in their eyes, that being the famous one and being the successful one was what was going to make me happy. That's what was going to put the, that was going to prove to everybody who doubted me that that's the final nail in the coffin. Like I did it. And what I realized through writing with, working with, hanging out with, just being around people who are of that upper echelon is that does not always equate happiness. And for some people it can, (laughs) but for a lot of people, it doesn't. You really like what I would say is for the hundred percent of people who are in that stratosphere, 
I would say there's probably only 20% who really were born for it, can handle it and can still find happiness in it. I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction once you get to the top with what it really is. And to get back to what I was saying, the dawn of the internet, that allows me to take my realization that fame is not what's going to make me happy and go, okay, how can I take what makes me happy, which is songwriting and getting it out to people and letting it stir something within them and inspire people. And how can I take that and turn it into a business? Not because I want business, 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 but because I want it to be my life. I want it to be what supports me living, eating, breathing. And as convoluted as the internet is, if you are smart and you're a hustler, it's way easier to figure out how to do it that way than it is to try to get one of five labels to pay attention to you, which by the way, all of them rejected Garth Brooks in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can't rely on that opinion for your self-worth. And that's what I kind of learned. So I'm, I'm, I'm creating my own self-worth and that's what the beauty of the way it is right now. But again, that's a choice. I'm choosing to find the balance so that I can enjoy my craft and not go crazy. Some people can go all one way and more power to them because that's who we get to watch on TV and they get to inspire us and entertain us. But, you know, I only want to get to that stratosphere if I don't have to sacrifice all of my happiness. And has that changed the kind of music that we hear? Yeah. 1,000%. Up until I released Heartbreak Mistake, um, which was on the Country Enough EP, which was my last release, which was just three songs. And I put out some new singles recently that are going on the new album. But that EP of all the things I've ever released and all my friends and family and people that have seen me at shows have seen before then was always influenced by a manager who was going to make my dreams come true. And this is what I needed to do. A, um, a, an industry producer who this needed to happen or, you know, you weren't going to make it. I know better than you. And there are people who know better than you, but country enough was the first time where I had walked away from a deal. You know, my grandmother had passed away. I was distraught over that. I lost my job that had kept me afloat in Nashville. And I was at such a low point that I was like, I want to put out what I want to put out because I got nothing else going on. I, you know, I thought I'd left everything and it was all screwed up. And that was the first time that I created something that I am so proud to actually go, Hey, here's my music. Not, will you like my music? And that was part of my shift. And I only learned that by coming here and meeting people and making a lot of mistakes. So, you know, you can't just do it right. You got to screw it up a little bit to figure out what the right thing is for you. Well, I guess we have to hear a little bit of that song. Yes, you do. It's one of my favorite songs. So we're going to play out to some ads to the tune of Heartbreak Mistake. Looks like another lonely heart Shooting doubles at the bar Drowning someone out with every sin Tasting goodbye, hanging on his lips So I did what any good girl would do With Friends Like These is brought to you by Helix Sleep. I've had my Helix mattress for almost a year now, and I still haven't moved it into my bedroom. It's in the guest bedroom because I've decided my guests deserve it. 
Well, actually, I don't have any guests. I mean, who has guests? I've decided that I deserve it and I get to sleep in it whenever I want. I get to have luxurious staycations basically every weekend. I can't sleep in my Helix mattress on weekdays because then I'd never get up. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the mattress perfect for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everyone's unique and Helix knows that, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. I took the Helix quiz and was matched with the Sunset Luxe mattress because I am a side sleeper who likes a soft mattress. Delivery and setup was fast and easy almost too fast because I wasn't expecting the mattress to unroll quite so quickly and it almost unrolled on top of me. So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress that you've been matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever have to go to a mattress store again. And Helix is awesome, but you don't have to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving sleep. Just go to helixsleep.com slash friends, take their two-minute quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash friends. That's $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners, helixsleep.com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Best Fiends. What you need during the holiday season is something to keep you alert and happy. You need a game like Best Fiends. Best Fiends has it all. An amazing storyline, collectible fiends, and tons of fun puzzles. No Wi-Fi? No problem. Play Best Fiends wherever and whenever you want with the offline mode. Play it on a plane. Play it on a train. Play it while you're waiting in line somewhere. So even if your holiday travels take you off the beaten path, you can still play Best Fiends. Fiends. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by DoorDash. What do you want to eat tonight? Maybe you want a home-cooked favorite, but don't feel like going to the store. Or you want something exciting and new, but it'd be great to stay in tonight. DoorDash connects you with everything you want, whenever and however you want it. Get what you want to eat right now and right to your door with DoorDash. Along with the restaurants you love, you can now get groceries and other essential items delivered with DoorDash. Get drinks, snacks, and other household items in under an hour. Craving late night ice cream? Forget that one key ingredient for dinner? Or maybe you just need to stock up for the week. With DoorDash, everything is in one app. With over 300,000 partners, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, and the Cheesecake Factory. Ordering is easy, and your items will be left safely outside your door when you choose contactless delivery drop-off. 
For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code FRIENDS. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code FRIENDS. Don't forget, that's code FRIENDS for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Hide under the covers we could Lie and act like we'll ever see you Want to, cause I want you and me to make a break mistake Welcome back. Here we are. Kira, what is that song about? Oh, man. That song so that song is about a a woman's perspective the type of woman I am because there's all different types of women I'm not speaking for all women but that is my female perspective of a one night stand not out of lust but a one night stand out of heartbreak and I wanted to, in in an age where I feel like so much of the emotion is taken out of sex, which can be great at times for some people, but I just mean we come, we're in an era where I feel like that's taken out a lot for people. I wanted to talk about the um, raw emotions that go through, you know, a heartbreak and trying to throw yourself into someone else and what that feels like and that stuff. And I felt like it wasn't something that was ever really written about much. So it was important to me to do it the right way. And how is it different from how you might've written it before you had this kind of breakthrough and before I, it sounds like you sort of hit a kind of bottom, right. And decided to mm-hmm. write just whatever the fuck you wanted. Mm-hmm. Can you say how it's a little different from what you might've written a year before that? A year before that, I was always um, answering to what it was always, here I wrote this, what do you think? Okay, you don't like that part, let me change it. This was me and Nolan, Neil, wrote this together. It was what we wanted. We went in and I had an idea of what I wanted, but I trusted his guidance with the production of it. I didn't feel like he was telling me or had to listen. We communicated and I trusted his guidance with this song. And then it came to be exactly what we wanted. And to his credit, it became even better than what I imagined in my head. 
because it, it took it took all the thoughts in my head and it just made it even bigger and better. And that's what producers should do. And but he did a great job of that with this one. And we don't have to get into this if it, I mean I know it's hard to uh, what is it um, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. So uh, it's, it's, um, this might be hard to talk about, but I'm curious, like specifically in the song, right? Like I heard some bluesy aspects, right? I heard a a real tempo change, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I heard like a declarative kind of singing, right? Like the heartbreak, heartbreak, I'm not going to, I can't believe I almost started to sing that. I cannot sing. Um, Is there stuff that's, is that connected like for you like that's what I want to hear was there stuff that you wanted to hear in your own song I think because I have a really low voice um my roommates like uh, my roommate uh coaches uh she's an artist too we both actually run our own businesses and coach and teach uh music but she's obsessed with the fact it's called a contralto it's like into the bass notes of a female voice and I never um, found a producer or someone who re- or a song, to be honest with you, a song and then someone to record me who could really bring across that part of my voice. And I felt like this song really called for it because it's this sexy, you know, I'm heartbroken, but but I'm, you know, looking to throw myself into someone who I'm attracted to, who I feel like could buy my mind from what's going on in my life. And so it's this sad but sexy thing. And I felt like a lower register called for that. And like, he took what I, like what I was singing and made it come to life on the mic. Like it made it sound like me. Whereas a lot of times artists with different type of voices have a hard time with what mic do you use? How do you get the voice you hear in front of you to sound that way on the recording? Cause once it goes through all the forms of compression and all that crap, you know, it gets muddled down sometimes. And Nolan he did the dang thing on that song <laughs> with my voice. How much of you is in uh, the idea of the song? How much are you writing from experience? Um, there are very, there are very few songs. Well, I'll tell you. So I have been in a relationship for 10 years And we got together when we were 20 and it's been a very hard, you know, long distance, you know, figuring it out and growing together. And, um, I like to take, sometimes I write songs from my direct experience, but sometimes I take the pain of what I've dealt with and the pain of what I know others have dealt with. And I kind of morph those ideas together and, you know, songwriting sometimes is acting and and it, and it can still be you. Like, you know, when artists, they almost become their character. I put myself in the mode of, okay, I want to write this. I might not have experienced this, but I've experienced this. Okay. How do I make sure it's genuine to me, but I still am letting that person know they're heard and I understand them. And it's kind of like that little dance you do. And, and it's not in the way that some people would think are fake. I think if songwriters tell you all of it's from personal experience, they're lying because we write tons of songs. But it's almost like this dance of like being yourself, but creating something that's so beautiful to bring comfort. So it's like 
I don't know how to explain it. It's like, it is you. They're all me. Does that make sense? They're all me in one way, shape or form. You will never know what parts of it are me and what are not. That's for me to know, but there's <laughs> always, you know what I mean? There's always bits and stuff in songs that are you always. I don't think you can write from, I don't think you can write a song, a good song without a little bit of you in it somewhere. You know? Are you saying that Towns Van Sant didn't know two men named Poncho and Lefty who were like outlaws? <laughs> oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Are you saying? <laughs> I can't speak to the songwriter. Are you saying I that Johnny speak? Cash didn't? Well, actually, Johnny Cash did go to prison, but. <laughs> so, you know, we look, I can't speak to the songwriter. I can't speak to what is the character right. and what is you. But I can say that there is. It's like every actor in every movie, there's a tiny bit of you that you put in in every character, right. you know? I love hearing people talk about the mechanics of their craft. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, Cause that's something I, I feel like it sometimes you can see how it, 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 it is across disciplines and stuff, but sometimes things are really specific to a, a single discipline, right? Mm -hmm. So my question for you is, what does it feel like to write a song that you know if has has hit the things you want to hit? Like, how do you know? Like the best, it's the best feeling in the world. Mm -hmm. It's like, and as somebody who has, I mean, if anybody knows anything about eating disorders, they know they're all about control or a lot of it's about control. And as someone who is a, has major control problems <laughs> um, and works on them every day, um, it, it's, it's the high that, that you can't touch. It's the, it's the, it's the high, it's the obsession that, you can't see in front of you. It just is. And that's what makes it even more mystical and wonderful than anything else. And, you know, recently I've struggled a lot with um, just people in my life that I found out that were blood or friends that weren't in my corner the way I thought they were. And it sucks meaning judgment on what I'm doing with my life. And, and that really, really hurt. But what I, through my therapist and my friends, <laughs> I learned that, you know, some people, if you, if you've never tasted that high of creating something, whether or not you think it's good or you think it's good or you think it's good, doesn't matter until you've tasted that high of honing that craft and working on that song and getting it the way you want, you won't understand it, it's, I don't, you know, and I think that's why people drive themselves crazy in this town doing it. Cause they'd rather be crazy doing it than not at all. How is that related to the control piece you mentioned with the, Oh, pfft, probably tons. I've definitely had to reel back like my input. Like I've learned to be a better songwriter with other songwriters because I have to lean back. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Collaboration yeah. helps with that. Um, but and I'm sure in a thousand ways it feeds my control monster, mm. like just making something that's yours. But I'll tell you, it's a way better way to feed your control monster than the ways that I was doing it before. I've been grinning the entire time you've been talking about this because <laughs> as I mentioned, I'm in recovery. I'm in recovery from addiction. 
Mm-hmm. But when I think about what it feels like to write that, sometimes it's even just like a phrase mm-hmm. that, you know, nails it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a paragraph. Sometimes it's a sentence. Sometimes it's a whole piece. Yes. But like, oh, yes, you just feel it. Like the phrase that I'm, one of the phrases I'm most proud of in my career is uh, Coach Patterson of TCU. I'm a huge um, college football fan. I described how he walks along the sidelines as a truculent waddle. And as soon as I wrote that, I was like, damn, yes, Yes. it is a truculent waddle. That That is what that is. (laughs) That is, and that little jolt that's it. It is like getting high. It is like getting high. That is why I thought of it. Is the only thing I can compare it to, is getting yeah. high. People don't understand, and because it's not like it's a you. Euf- it is a kind of euphoria, I guess. But the one of the ways it's like getting high is I. I am chasing that all the time. Yep. Yep. And uh, and I, you know, my so my fiance. We're now engaged. He um, is an attorney, so totally different side of the spectrum, but he is creative in a lot of great ways through, you know, the ups and downs of my career and, you know, our relationship, he's learned a lot about what he's understood more. Like, you know, when you're first dating, oh, I'm dating a singer. It's really cool. And then Mm -hmm. you figure out as you go along how much it's not just you're you're giving your soul out you're chasing you're giving your soul out to chase that high right and you know to that's speak- the bargain you make that's like i mean exactly sorry, interrupt, but that is the bargain oh, yeah. you make with the world is i'm gonna be able it's oh god and now that i'm thinking about it if you put in the metaphor of drugs it's really ugly yes <laughs> that like, is- but you're Absolutely. you're saying like i am gonna lay out all this stuff that's really precious to me to buy that high, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to sacrifice all this stuff to like yep. get that feeling again. And you mm-hmm. can go overboard, I think, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's a way in which you might, because totally, we don't have to talk this way, but like, you know, friends and family, you know, and mm-hmm. like taking care of other people. Like, I think you can, then we see artists, like, there's our, our culture is full of stories. Yeah. People who, who went that direction. Right. And we may admire now, but. Well, that's because you're, they were giving to the world that, Mm -hmm. and this is the fame monster that, Mm -hmm. you know, gave you a lot of good, but it gave you just as much bad. And that's why I say that fame is not, that was the best thing I learned coming here was it, I was able to take that fame thing and put it off the shelf of what equates my happiness, you know, and find it in the things I do in my life now. And, um, now granted, I got a long way to go. I got a lot of stuff to learn and I got a lot of stuff that I'm going to make mistakes on. And I got a lot of stuff I want to do. And I'm not saying that there's any, I don't imagine any glass ceiling. I just go for it, but you're 100% right. That it's, it's that, it's it you know what to kind of equate that i just played a show where i opened for a big festival and the only way you could play the festival is if you're signed to a label contrary to people's beliefs why don't you play the actual festival oh well i'd have to be to a label which i gave up in the past to be where i am and do that right so i'm doing this opening and the first half of the show was all the people from the festival 
so excited to be there. Love original music, love country music. And then the second half of that show was people just walking around that wanted to kind of have conversations with people nearby and didn't care. So I would literally go from an hour and a half of like, and they love my music. They're getting into it. They're asking me where to download it to an hour and a half of, okay, you're the background of my conversation. Why are you here? And that is the price I pay and risk doing what I do. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Beanbox. You've probably already waited too long to get a gift that won't arrive on time. So why not get a gift that will come all the time, every month, that will never get boring? Beanbox connects coffee lovers to some of the world's best specialty coffees with expertly curated tasting flights perfect for gifting. A lot of us have tried to cut down the eating and drinking habits that are bad for us during the pandemic, sugar, alcohol, fat. And one of the many benefits of doing that is that your palate gets more sensitive. You can start to distinguish subtleties since it's not overwhelmed by big, blunt flavors. You can start to enjoy coffee in the same way some people treat wine. The difference between roasts, between kinds of beans, between where they're grown and at what altitude. Beanbox has flights of coffee to train your palate and expand your mind. For the coffee lover on your list, there's no better way to say happy holidays than with Beanbox. They'll explore award-winning coffees handpicked by Beanbox's resident coffee expert. Beanbox best-selling gift options are sure to please the coffee aficionado in your life. They'll even get tasting notes and brewing tips with their box to help them make the most of their experience. With a coffee sampler gift subscription, receive four new expertly curated coffees to explore every month. Save when you get six months or more. The World Coffee Tour Box is a globe-trotting trip through 16 of the world's best micro-lot coffees. Give the coffee fanatic in your life an unforgettable coffee-tasting experience with Beanbox. Order today at beanbox.com slash friends and get 15% off purchases of $40 or more. That's 15% off purchases of $40 or more with the promo code friends at beanbox.com slash friends. With Friends Like These, it's brought to you by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? For me, it's gift buying. And it's not just what to get people. It's whether it'll get there on time, the hassle of mailing stuff, and also who gets a gift. Christmas makes you rank your loved ones in the same way sending wedding invitations does. And it happens every year. How are the holidays treating you? Better help will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment, making it so convenient you can begin communicating in under 24 hours. It's not self-help, it's professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. The service is available for clients worldwide, and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is also available. There's a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. Licensed professional counselors specialize in depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. Anything you share is confidential. You can check out the testimonials posted daily to their site. And in fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. 
As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash friends. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, better, H-E-L-P.com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money, download Truebill, and take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, don't want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill has negotiated my cable bill, my newspaper subscriptions, and when I use them to cancel something, I can just cross it off my list rather than ponder if it's worth my time to go through the 10-step phone tree to cancel. Truebill has over 2 million users and helps save them over $100 million. Like Matthew B., who says, in a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my DirecTV bill. I saved $120 for the year on my SiriusXM bill, and I saved $840 a year on car insurance. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash friends. Go right now. Truebill.com slash friends. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash friends. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. If you don't find healthy ways to counter the bad, which basically like I, you know, I went down to the restaurant a couple doors down with Brandon and cried like in the back of the restaurant eating something. And then after that, I felt good about the first half of it. But I cried about the second half of it because I just felt like an idiot sitting there, you know, doing this. And but that's unless you figure out how to counteract that low which will come with everyone. Chris Stapleton sang to a room of five people before he got on stage and everybody knew who he was with Justin Timberlake. So you're going to do, there's nowhere else to go, but where people inevitably went to use and, and try to maintain that high of the first half of my show. Does that make sense? I get it completely. And people just, they don't get it, man. Unless you've been in it. You don't get it. And that doesn't mean that anybody who hasn't been in it should be in it. Like, I don't want you to learn some of the things that I've had to go through, but it, it that's kind of the loneliness of the creativity in that world. But I've worked really hard through my disorder and what I learned through that to develop 
people to call habits around me, ways to check myself, ways to, you know, get myself in line to not go that route. And to speak to your addiction, I've seen people go through recovery and I've seen people at their worst. And that is the reason why like people at my shows would be like, Oh, I want to buy you a shot. I do not drink if I'm emotional or anxious. Mm -hmm. I refuse to. Because I, I know my personality. I'm already feeding my obsessive monster. I don't need another way to feed it. And it's mm. not easy because that drink will make me feel better on stage. But I, I know myself well enough. And I've been through my own form of addiction through my eating disorder that I can't touch that. Because it's an easy trap to fall into when you're a creative too. So, yeah. It's the monster. But hey, man, look. A lot happier doing this than I was at a desk job. Tried it a million times. Didn't work. Can't do it can't. So I'm stuck where I am. I got to figure it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I really enjoyed talking to you and I, I would love as we sort of round out our discussion, could you, what's a, what's a song you've written recently? Let's tell me, tell me a little bit about it and we'll play it out. Ooh. Okay. So there is a song that I wrote recently um, about. So this song really means a lot to me because I wrote this song with someone a long time ago. We only wrote together once. And at the time, I'm not going to give specifics because it's everyone's own personal story, but we each had been touched by something in our lives. And we we wanted to write a song about a relationship that's wrong, a relationship that could be verbally abusive, could be physically abusive, because we we didn't want to be too specific. We wanted to make sure it spoke to anybody who because all of that is intertwined, right? Whether you go through one or the other. So we wanted to speak to that. And um we wrote it, went about our lives. We tried to get back together. We couldn't because I was traveling or something, just lost touch. And then over the pandemic, I was sitting listening to voice memos and I went, oh my God, I can't believe I even was a part of writing that <laughs> and I had to record it. And I recorded Save Your Sorries with uh, Austin Bianco, who's my producer, and um, Jared Minix is who I co-wrote it with. And Sean Neff mastered it and finished it. But we did that and I have to give credit to my friends. That's why I say that. But um, I we did that and I had this idea of the video in my head. I knew exactly what I wanted it to be in the story. I wanted to tell with the video and it did. And it came to life and like Stormlight Pictures, who did the video for me, they did like, it was exactly was in my head. Like, and that's the best feeling. Cause you create so many things that like somebody does something wrong. You put money into the wrong thing, whatever, all this crap that happens. But when it happens, it's the best ever. And I just feel like this song speaks to what a lot of people were going through in 2020 always going through, but more specifically in very hard times in 2020. And that imagery just came to life and save your sorries is about that person trying to say sorry. And at that point, is it really worth anything when you've been beaten that low? And that's what this so, song is about. <laughs> so where can people watch it? I assume. Everywhere. Videos on YouTube. Okay. Songs everywhere. Just spell my name right and look hey. it up. <laughs> Okay, and it is C I A R A R A E. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, thank you Sierra so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a delight talking to you. 
No, I loved talking to you. I feel like we're going to have a nice little friendship here on out. I appreciate what you're doing. (laughs) And as we we leave, um, let's listen to Save Your Sorrows. There's a hole in that wall Been months since you put it there But I can still recall We were fighting, screaming, yelling You were telling me I was wrong Started pushing you across the lines Just can't be undone You can give your reasons And say how you feel But that ain't my problem now You can speak your mind But it won't change mine Since you gave it all away Maybe you should save your sorries Maybe you should save your sorries Thanks to Sierra Ray. Be sure to check out her music on your favorite streaming app and follow her on social at Sierra Ray, and that's R-A-E. And her first name is spelled C-I-A-R-A. So that's C-I-A-R-A-R-A-E. Sierra Ray Music on Instagram and Twitter. And a quick reminder that we'll be drawing this show to a close this month. Next week is my last episode, an interview with Rhett Miller and Murray Hammond of the Old 97s, talking about how they've maintained their friendship from childhood, despite or perhaps because they've been playing music together for decades. I'm excited to end this podcast on a positive note about the endurance of friendship and how we grow more gracefully into who we are when we treat each other well. This show is a product of Crooked Media. Leslie Martin is our producer. Patrick Antonetti is our audio editor. And please, take care of yourselves. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. We've seen all the video call fails by now, the mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay.